Welcome to Foundations, a podcast from Field Partner. We're an online portal of resources, training materials, courses and coaching for cross-cultural workers at each stage of their journey. This podcast is the home of our biblical teaching, which is an essential foundation for effective cross-cultural work and for following Jesus faithfully. For free courses, blogs, interviews and more, check out our website, fieldpartner.org, and follow us on social media to keep up to date with our latest resources. Hi, this is Ross Patterson, and I'm sharing with you from God's Word and continuing with the series on Joseph, but uh, wanting to approach it from a rather different angle this month. One of the issues that I think all of us need to wrestle with, all of us need to get clear biblically, is the balance between two very necessary elements in our life. Number one is the blessing of God. Uh, his grace, his favor, his initiative in our lives. Number two is our response to that, our, if you like, commitment, our surrender to his purposes, our willingness to go his way, and our holiness in that uh, in that path. So let me address that, as it were, first from Joseph and then from two New Testament passages that have uh, struck me quite strongly recently. If we look at the blessing of God in Joseph's life, it's very, very clear. Starting at the beginning of the story, Genesis 37, as I mentioned a few months ago, it says, Genesis 37, 1, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob, Joseph. So here's this very much, not the youngest, but younger of the brothers with much, much older brothers, with uh, those who have a significant part to play in the purposes of God. And yet here, this is the history of Jacob, Joseph. And that continues through that chapter. I'm sure many of you are familiar with this uh, part of God's word, the Bible. Uh, How verse 5 of chapter 37, Joseph had a dream And in the dream, his sheaf arose and stood upright, and his brother's sheaves bowed down to his. And then uh, another dream in verse 9, I dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars bowed down to me. And from the beginning, there's that sense of God choosing Jacob, God, uh, sorry, God choosing Joseph, God anointing Joseph, then you have the incident of his being sold into slavery and uh, is taken by the Ishmaelite traders to Egypt and uh, is sold as a slave into Potiphar's household, chapter 39. But immediately in Potiphar's household, it says, verse 2 of chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord made all he, Joseph, did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. And he made him, he, Potiphar, made him, Joseph, overseer of his house, and all that he had was put under his authority. So again, the huge, huge grace of God. And then you know Potiphar's wife, we discussed that recently tried to seduce him, he ran away, she lied about him, he's put in prison. But uh, as soon as he's put in prison, or or at some quick period after that, God continues to bless. It says in 
39, chapter 39, verse 21, the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look at anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. And and we could go on, couldn't we, through the two servants of the king in chapter 40 who are in prison, how Joseph tells their dreams, one will be executed, uh, the chief butler will be restored, how he is restored, Pharaoh has the dream, his own dreams of the seven lean years, chapter 41, and uh, suddenly the the um, cupbearer remembers, and uh, in minutes, really, Joseph is propelled from probably one of the worst prisons in the land to be uh, second only to Pharaoh in the land, to a position of enormous um, influence and power. And so you have that sense of all the way through Joseph's life, the grace of God was enormously powerful, was incredibly, as it were, it was that grace that made Joseph what he was. In in prison, that grace propels him to to... Uh, a senior position. In Potiphar's house, the same thing. Even from the beginning, God uh, is speaking into his life, choosing and anointing. On the other hand, you could equally argue that uh, though the grace of God was there, it was Joseph's obedience to God. It was Joseph's capacity to to walk with the Lord. I mean, I've just mentioned the incident with Potiphar's wife where uh, Potiphar's wife, we discussed this I think last time, tries to seduce him. Uh, she's alone in the house. He's there. Handsome young man, it says in chapter 39, verse 6. And and in verse 7, it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said to him, lie with me. But he refused. And, and you see how Joseph at the same time walked in holiness and godliness. Then, if you think of it, he was in charge of everything in in Potiphar's house. How many people in that situation have their fingers in the cookie jar? In other words, are um, siphoning off stuff for themselves. There's never any example, if you like, of, of Joseph doing that whatsoever. Same in the prison. Never at any time does anyone have anything bad to say of him apart from Potiphar, Uh, because of the lies of his wife. So on the other hand, you could say that Joseph walked in godliness, in holiness, in purity before the Lord. And I've several times quoted Psalm 105, verse 16, where it says, um, God sent a man before them in a time of famine, uh, verse 17, Joseph, who was sold as a slave, they hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in irons until the time that his word God's word or Joseph's word, depending how you see that, came to pass. The word of the Lord tested him. Thirteen years, it's reckoned, between being sold as a slave and Pharaoh summoning him. That's a long time. Think where you were 13 years ago. But Joseph, in all of that time, walks in the destiny that the dreams he was given as a young man, the dreams in chapter 37. He walks in obedience to the word of the Lord, even though Potiphar's household, brothers selling him as slaves, slung into a dungeon, even when he tells the cupbearer's dream, it's still two years before 
Sphero actually summons him and he's released into such a position of power. And you see, on the other hand, Joseph, therefore, walking in that way. You don't see him trying to negotiate or deal or, or steal or, frankly, sleep with the boss's wife or anything else. You see him, again, in chapter, in Psalm 105, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. You see that purity of walk, that holiness of walk, that submission to the purposes of God. Now, recently in, in uh, the New Testament, it seemed to me that two verses really struck me which speak of those things. The, the first one is in Mark chapter 16, where it talks of um, when the Lord Jesus has been crucified. It says in verse 1, the Sabbath was passed. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices Mark 16.1, that they might come and anoint him. Now, all of the disciples are in a deep place of despondency. They, they think he, well, he has been crucified, but they think that's it. That's the end of all of their dreams and what they thought was going to happen, etc. Uh, huge questions in their minds. And on top of that, Peter has denied him three times. Peter, who, who comes forward and says, um, look, it's, it's just not going to happen. They may all deny you, but I never will. And Peter denies him three times, increasingly vociferously, if you like, at the crucial moment. And, and the Lord, it says, turns and looks at Peter. And Peter went, went out and wept. If you have, as I do, one of these uh, New Testament readings that has background noises, um, well, sorry, not background noises, but uh, is a bit dramatic, the, the one I listen to has a very powerful weeping of Peter when those voices are being read. But it says in, in Mark 16, verse 6, of, let's start at verse 5. Entering the tomb, this is the women, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, he's an angel, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, that he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said. He is risen. But this, this phrase, go and tell his disciples and Peter. One translation I, I looked at said, especially Peter. And again, the grace of God in Peter's life. This is, in, in the secular world, you're fired. You're out of it. You're gone. You, you blew it. You had your chance, etc. Not Jesus. Jesus comes and says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to rebuild you. Uh, you remember how before he was crucified, Jesus turned to him and said, when you are, uh, I think one translation says converted, when you've been turned around by the understanding of the cross and the resurrection and, and, and see these things, strengthen your brethren. So Jesus is looking into this man with huge grace, with huge anointing, if you like, and saying, even at the time of his worst failure, the angel says, go and tell his disciples and Peter that the grace of God, the enormously powerful, the incredible grace of God that uh, at our worst point is there for us um, in amazing ways. And yet at the same time, I read uh, another passage in uh, Luke chapter 23. Also, um, because my readings, uh, I'm actually recording this around Easter time are about the cross and the resurrection. And it says in Luke chapter 23, verse 50, 
Now, there was a man named Joseph, a council member, a good and just man. He had not consented to their decision and deed. That's the council uh, so unjustly, illegally putting Jesus to death. He was from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, took it down, wrapped it in linen and laid it in a tomb that was hewn out of the rock where no one had ever lain before. Interesting, the the, uh, gospel writer just drops in that comment. Uh, No danger of confusing uh, the resurrection that it wasn't really Jesus, it was somebody else, because nobody else had ever lain in the tomb, so there was nothing else to confuse. So Joseph, after Jesus has died on the cross, very bravely up to this point, he's actually been quite hidden, but he goes and and sees uh, sees Pilate and says, I want the body and buries it in his own tomb. But again, that little phrase, just as uh, go and tell the disciples and Peter struck me, so this phrase, he was from Arimathea, city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. And that's the other side, isn't it? That's, here's a man waiting for the kingdom of God, a man whose sight is set on the kingdom of God and the role he's going to play in that. That's the other side, isn't it? That's the holiness. That's the running from Potiphar's wife. That's the no fingers in the cookie jar. But more than that, that's the holding on to Joseph's dreams. Even in, in, I guess that's quite confusing, they're both Joseph, aren't they? But the New Testament Joseph, the Arimathea Joseph, even at this time when I guess everybody felt it's gone, it's finished, he's looking for the kingdom of God. And he does an extraordinary thing, a courageous thing, as a council member, in a sense, goes against the council and says, I want the body. I want the body of the man you've crucified, and I'm going to bury him. Because he was looking for the kingdom of God. And that's the other side. Now, uh, in this brief 15 minutes, I can't expand it further, but what I want to say to you is both are needed. If you think about it, both are needed. The grace of God, without a looking for the kingdom of God, without a commitment to the word, to the vision that God has given for our lives and destiny, is actually squandered and wasted. How many people do we know that had powerful anointings of the Holy Spirit, but are nowhere today? Conversely, a commitment to God, a, a, a desire to obey God, without that walking in the grace of God, without that walking in the favor of God, without that conscious knowledge that my heavenly father is there to to rescue, to pick me up. In fact, without that conscious knowledge that whatever I do at the end of the day won't make a difference unless he does it through me, uh, that's not going to work either. You remember that interesting comment of Paul's? He says, I labored more abundantly than them all. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. That's the same thing, isn't it? There's a very interesting statement. Paul's saying, I I longed for the kingdom. I looked for the kingdom. I gave my life to build the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, literally in his case. And yet at the same time, he's saying, actually, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. Because I know where I was, a, a murder of Christians without the grace of God. And I want to if you like, lob that gently to you, those parallel truths and say, 
for some of you listening, you need to see that the Father loves you. You need to see that it's his love, his care. There's a tremendous song by Casting Crowns, a group called Casting Crowns called East to West, where it basically it says, Lord, show me, show me how far the East is from the West. And then there's this quite difficult line from one hand to the other. In other words, the distance is the two nail pierced hands of Jesus, uh, because that embraces everything that that uh, in that song there's a there's a line about lord i'm afraid i'll finish where i started and then looking at the risen uh, crucified jesus says that knowledge by his grace that's never going to happen because it's his grace it's not my futile efforts but at the same time how many do we know that actually have had so much grace and have squandered and wasted it that's the balance i want to throw to you and ask you in your own time to take time just to ask the lord which applies to me? Both, one or the other. Lord, help us, I pray, to get that balance right. Help us to walk in that balance in such a way that we may not squander your grace through failing to long and commit our lives to the establishing of your kingdom or be so full of our own labors that we burn out because we don't know the, the presence of the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ the love of the Father, the communion with the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to walk aright in our generation in this balance and not to be uh, at one extreme or the other. Perhaps the greatest danger today, Father, is wasting your grace, wasting your anointing. Help us not to do that or the other, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. We hope you found this resource encouraging. Why not subscribe to be notified of our future episodes? You can also check out our sister podcast, simply called Field Partner, featuring inspiring stories from experienced missionaries. Follow us on social media or sign up to our newsletter via the website to stay up to date on our latest resources.